I, I had to wait and find the, the positive things in my life that were going to come. And I, I look back now and go, A, I might not be alive because I, I could have lost my life. Um, right. You know, I could have um, not met my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. Uh, my mom was really sick at the time and I was home because of, you know, of, of circumstances. So it, it was just hard. And I think it took some time. But uh, now I look back and then, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Welcome to the Passion Behind the Art Show. It's all about diving in with individuals to learn the story behind their passion. It's your host, Daryl Pinnock. Well, I'm super excited to have Peter Deltano on the Passion Behind the Art Show. Um, Heard about him through Mike, and um, I'm excited. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you for having me. Yes, man. Um, so let's kick it off. How did Peter's journey into design start? Um, I think like most people, uh, it started in the army. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. What? So I, <laughs> um, I, I ended up uh, going into the military after high school and I got a golf scholarship to, uh, to West Point and figured I'm going there. I'll probably go in the business or law or something like that. And, uh, Ended up getting injured there and, uh, you know, had some injuries to my legs that really just made me unfit for active duty and, you know, even now, like, unfit to, to run. I am the last person you want in your party in, like, the zombie apocalypse because I'm going first. Um, but, uh, yeah, I came home and, you know, basically spent a year kind of just being depressed and on medical leave and kind of this uncertainty of, like, Am I going to get better and go back? What's going to happen? And during that time, I just, I played a lot of video games and, you know, I was kind of on bed rest. And so I, I played a bunch of games. I, I uh, when I was back in high school, I played a lot of video games. And during all that time, I would be in, you know, a World of Warcraft clan or a guild or like a Counter-Strike clan. And, and we would, I'd be the guy that always made the websites. And then when I was in high school, I wasn't allowed to have a job because I had to focus on golf and getting a scholarship. So I ran a business from home. And the way I could do that was running a web hosting and video game hosting company. And so that, that got me into very amateur web design. Um, and, you know, I thought making like 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a website back then was like making out like a bandit. And, and that kind of started it. And then during that time when I was, I came home uh, on medical leave, I I kind of got back into going to school and I was working uh, as a manager at like some gym clubs, 24-hour fitness, crunch fitness kind of stuff. And I was just bored. I needed more to do. And, uh, uh, you know, you make nothing working at a gym. So I, I found myself all of a sudden I was freelancing and doing websites for people on the side. And I quickly realized like, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing like professionally, but I'm making more money doing these websites like nights and weekends than I am at my full time job. And um, so then I saw a sign for the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising's design program, came home and was like, hey, brother, you need to go here. And, you know, you did good at design in a high school course. And then, like, I don't know, for some reason it hit me, like, wait, I should I should go. I should do this. I should actually learn. Mm. And um, and I enrolled in it, and it was, it was great. Um, there's pros and cons to design school, but I, I got to spend a year taking 
nothing but design class, like no math, no science, no Spanish. It was, it was awesome. And I loved that. And, uh, that kind of kicked stuff off for me. And after a period of time, I, I kind of came back to my roots of, Hey, my focus, my expertise is in websites and now building products and apps and stuff like that. And, uh, that, that's kind of been my, my journey here. Wow. That's, uh, 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 not, a, not the usual, um, no, it's a little different. <laughs> Road to design. I, I was not that creative kid, like in class. I mean, I still I hate my handwriting. I can't. I don't believe. Not I don't believe. I can't draw until I spend an inordinate amount of time practicing. I'm sure I could do it. I currently can't. And you know, I, I wasn't that creative kid. But uh, you give me the tools on a computer, and, and I'm able to do some stuff. So it's interesting. So how did you? end up getting out of that depressive state? Um, you know, I, I think it just took a little bit of time. Um, I, I think for me it was that I put a lot of, I put a lot of energy into going to West Point. Like that was, that was kind of overnight became a dream. I remember I was at a tournament and the, the recruiter from the army was, uh, you know, there for the, for the golf team and, we talked about the possibility and, and I, I was just like, wow, what, what an honor to go to West Point. Like this, I, I want to do this. And, and I really put all my eggs in that basket. I mean, I spent, I'm, I'm a pretty small guy. So as, as a golfer, so as, as a golfer, uh, you know, being called five, six competing with a gun, bunch of guys that are, you know, six foot something and hitting the ball 300 yards, I, I had to really compete with that. And so I spent two hours before class every day during high school, uh, my like junior and senior year. I'd spend two hours at the gym. Uh, after school, I would go to the golf course, hit balls at the range, and then I'd either go to the gym after that or I'd go home, do my homework, and then drive back to the gym for two hours at night. Wow. And I would just do that every day. And I mean, it was funny playing golf matches and stuff because my arms just felt like silly putty, but uh, I got used to it. And... And that's just what I wanted, and I worked so hard for that. And during one of my my interview meetings, I remember because you have to get like a congressional recommendation and stuff. And they the panel asked me, they're like, "What are you going to do if you don't get in?" I'm like, "This is where I want to go. This is the one school I'm applying to. Oh. If I don't get in, I'm going to go to community college, study really hard, raise up a score or something that I need, and then I'm going to apply again next year." And, and that was my strategy, um, whether or not that was the right one. But I ended up getting in. And so it, when I when I ended up getting hurt, um, I, I have something called exercise-induced compartment syndrome in, in my legs. Uh, if you're listening, don't Google that. Um, it's, mine's not like that extreme, but it's not pleasant to check out the images. Mm. But um, it, it was just really tough on me because I I think I just identified with what I thought I was going to do with my life. And so coming back home and, and also being like an athlete and then being to a point where, I mean, I limped for eight, 10 months because my legs were so bad. Um, my brother thought it was really funny to tell people I got shot in the ass. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was just really, really hard. And so to now not be able to comfortably walk upstairs, I can't like run you know, even like a quarter mile or something, mm. it was just really hard. And so identifying that as who I was and what I was going to be, and then just kind of watch like all of that go away. 
Um, I think it just took time and I think it had to, I, I had to wait and find the, the positive things in my life that were going to come. And I, I look back now and go, A, I might not be alive because I, I could have lost my life. Um, right. You know, I could have um, not met my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. Uh, my mom was really sick at the time and I was home because of, you know, uh, of, of circumstances. So it, it was just hard. And I think it took some time. But uh, now I look back and then, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. So do you still, are you still like regularly golfing? No, I, I get out like maybe once a year with my father-in-law and um, the last two times I've totally thrown out my shoulder and had to take Vicodin for like a couple days after I play. So um, I, I'd love to and I enjoy it when I do, but it's just, you know, it's hard to do. Uh, okay, okay. So how did you get from making websites for people to kind of where you are right now you're kind of a uh, a web leader in 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 the space that you're in right now how did you how did that transition happen yeah um you know i i think the biggest thing for me and and for those listening the best piece of advice i can give is to get out there and do the thing that you want to do. Uh, you know, I think for me, you know, like I said, I, I, I've been making websites for a long time. And back when I was doing it for like video game teams and stuff, you know, I'd, I'd go buy a template somewhere or I'd, I knew a little bit of code and, you know, I used to be able to code in Dreamweaver, as funny as that sounds. Um, and then I got into like, oh, I need to buy a WordPress template for 30, 40 bucks. I'm like, mm -hmm. you customize that. And I was doing that for a long time. And, and I look back and I remember, you know, I was super proud. I, I did, I managed to freelance and do $25,000 worth of websites doing these, you know, call it $2,500 WordPress customizations of existing theme. And then the problem was that I look back and even if I had a developer come in and help me tweak a couple things, I couldn't show it in a portfolio. Like it, it wasn't something I made, I just changed out images and, you know, customized a couple things or whatever. And I, I, at the time I was working a lot with my buddy, Rob DeVarnia, and we had a conversation. We're like, how do we break out of this? Oh. And we just said, you know what, no matter what happens, no matter who hits us up, we're no longer doing WordPress customizations. Oh. The next website's custom from the ground up, $10,000 minimum budget, you know, for design and dev combined, like, that's it. We have to do this. Mm. And we got lucky and we landed kind of two clients at the same time. And that just kind of snowballed and people saw that and started hitting us up saying, Oh, we really like this website. I've got one. And like, you know, we almost didn't have the confidence to, to say like, we're going to do this or to ask for it. Cause we didn't have the work, you know, the custom work to show, but right. we just did it. And, and it's just been that ever since. And so that, that kind of helped us snowball into doing a couple of custom websites, which led to, uh, you know, getting a job at, at uh, an agency and, and becoming a creative director and working on, you know, some really big websites and, and, and accounts and then, you know, joining some more teams. And, and you know, now I, I work uh, as a senior product designer at GoFundMe uh, on our nonprofit product called CrowdRise. And, all of it kind of came from that decision of we're going to do this and we're just going to take a leap of faith that it's going to happen and work. And 
that's led to constantly just opening up new doors for, you know, group of people I worked with on, on stuff. So let's kind of, let, help me with that beginning part a little bit. Like what gave you like the, what was it that caused you to feel like, okay, we could do this. Um, let's go ahead. $10,000. We don't have any portfolio to show, but we're going to do this and like how because that's not it sounds but it's not that easy it, it's not but at the same time like I, I don't mean to sound like one of those guys that that just says like oh double your rates and like it's gonna <laughs> work out like no it's bull crap um but it, it was something that there wasn't any doubt about capability or like confidence in what we could do mm-hmm. it was just simply a matter of like we kept presenting our options to clients or like our packages and say, well, here, we'll do this. We'll buy a theme and we'll cut, you know, tweak it for 2,500 or like spend 10,000 and everybody goes with the $2,500 option. Like that's just a no brainer. And, you know, we knew that if we could break into it and like really dive in and make what the client wanted. And, and even if it was less, like, don't get me wrong. I do websites that are way less, but we were just like, this is what we need to do something really great. And that's what we're going to charge. And we ended up, um, it was a website we did uh, for Faithbox. And they were like one of the first websites in alpha of CrateJoy, uh, which is like a subscription website service platform, yeah. kind of like Shopify. And because it was one of the first ones, and it was one of the only well-designed sites on it, uh, we became a preferred vendor for them. And so every time someone hit them up saying, Hey, we want a website. Like they sent them to us. And so like that just kept opening doors. And, you know, we, we did several more crate joy websites and got a lot of clients through that. So it, it it was a risk, but it was also one that, you know, we were able to take because from a financial standpoint too, like it was okay if we said, Hey, for the next two months or three months, like if nothing came in the door, we're going to stick to like, we're going to hold out and we're going to get that one client. Um, because we just realized we were continuously working and spending our time without really being able to invest anything in ourselves and grow to where we could show a client and say, Hey, I can do this. And, and it required a little bit of that leap of faith. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but, um, I was just wanting to hear what's your perspective on, on, on that part. So like, During this process, like, what would you say was like the the hardest struggle in trying to get where you are right now? Uh, I think the hardest struggle for me is always being able to find the mistakes that you made and recognize it and then figure out the solution. So I always tell people where I, I think I do pretty well is less from a design standpoint and more from like the business standpoint. And so, you know, I I feel like especially the last two to three years, my business is, you know, run really smoothly. And when I say that, like I, I run a a small studio called wake labs. It's a collaborative design studio and, and I pull people in, you know, depending on what the project needs. And, you know, smooth and successful and everything is because I've learned to minimize the risks associated with projects or or with the business. And it's really just been from years of doing things wrong or making a mistake. And it might be like, Oh, well, uh, 
client didn't pay me. Well, how, how do I make sure that that doesn't happen again? Or, you know, I didn't communicate something right with a client, right? I didn't get that job because on the sales call, I phrased something wrong or I said it a certain way. So next time, this is how I'm going to do it. And I think just doing so many of those calls, both for my business, both at working at agencies and, and whatnot, I've done so many sales calls and presentations and pitches and design presentations. Like I, I've learned how to do those things pretty effectively and how to run the logistical side of the business from like project management to sales, contracts, proposals, like all that good stuff to be pretty smooth. And mm -hmm. and I've set up my business to run in a way that I honestly don't have any risk. Like I can't do any work and not get paid. Like that doesn't exist in the way I have things structured. So um, it, it's allowed me to run things effectively and without like business loss. Right. Um, so that's helped me to, you know, continue to grow. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I noticed on your site, like you don't have a contact form on your um your main page, your name page that you don't have a contact form. Talk a little bit about that. Why is that? Yeah, that was just something I was kind of testing out and, and playing with. And I, I've slowly been chipping away at a new site and that might change because mm -hmm. uh, I do like a contact form. Maybe you've got like a, a validator or a slider or something that states like what your project minimum is. And it's kind of pre-qualifying some of those leads. But I, I took a pro an approach on my site and it just says contact forms are impersonal. I want to have a relationship with you. So like, let's talk. And if you actually click the email link, I think I asked something like, uh, w you know, tell me about your favorite Disney or Pixar movie. Like, I, I love those movies. So tell me which one's your favorite and why. And like, we chat about it. And so when people contact me, probably 50% of the time, they actually put that in there. And so it's really cool to hear, you know, I like Monsters Inc or Toy Story or Big Hero 6 or whatever it might be. And it, it kind of allows us to connect. And it also creates something that maybe we both have in common. Mm -hmm. And now there's a little bit of a relationship. And maybe my chances of working with that person are better because we've we've already formed even like a mini friendship over our, our love of Pixar movies. Right, right, so right. uh it, it seems to have worked out, you know, so far. I mean the reason why it stood out to me because I haven't went to the point where eliminating a contact form, but getting on a call is like key to me right now. And mm -hmm. it's become a big filter to even if someone if I'm working with someone or not. Because if they are not even willing to get on a call, maybe I'm should even be working with that person so it kind of stood out to me because i've been i've made that like a big part of even talking getting on board with a client being able to get oh totally call, get on a call yeah i mean i i can't remember the last client i've worked with that i haven't you know talked to whether it be like a google hangout or a phone call right. uh it's just so important to to have that because even talking through little tasks on a project if you're doing it even through Slack or something, like it's just not working right. And I just hit people up like, hey, let's let's hop on a call for five minutes today. Let's just hammer this thing out and and everything's better. So uh, it's really important to communicate. And, you know, if clients don't do that, that's red flags. True. So what is keeping Peter together? Who actually, who is your support system that's keeping Peter together? Yeah, it's definitely my wife, uh, 100%. <laughs> um, you know, my, my family is the whole reason I do everything I do. Like, I I don't really identify with being a designer or anything like that. If 
I love design, don't get me wrong, but if something happened to me and I couldn't do that tomorrow and I had to like go, you know, dig ditches for the next 50 years, like that, okay, that's just what it's going to be. I, I work to provide for my family and be able to do things with and for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm in a career that, uh, you know, allows me to like freelance when I want. And if, if I want to wake up early and do some work, great, I can do it. And, you know, for, for me, I, I focus more on, I always have time for my family. It's usually harder to find time to do work and other things. Like mm. even scheduling out this podcast, it was more around like, okay, <laughs> when can I take time away from them to do this? Uh, and that's how I look at all that stuff. So, I mean, my wife definitely, you know, keeps me accountable for everything and we're a team in all of this. And, uh, you know, I, I work hard to provide for our family and, and there's times when we go through seasons where like when we were saving up for our place, I was working like crazy and I, I worked an extra 20, 30 hours a week, uh, you know, for like a couple of months. Uh, and, and there was a point when we were in there and she's like, Hey, we're good. But like, this has to slow down or we're not going to be good soon. Like, and, and so just having that real conversation and talk, uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for her. And that's, you know, why our relationship works so well. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you get connected with creative self? Yeah. So, um, I, let's see at the time I, I was working at a church and I saw that, uh, Creative South was going on. I saw the the Hood Sisters, who are local here to me, were out there. Nick Slater, Raji King, um, a bunch of other folks that I, I really looked up to, and I I wanted to go, and and I just couldn't afford to make it. My wife was uh, going to school to become a teacher at the time, and so I needed a new T-shirt because uh, my closet was running out. And so I backed the Kickstarter campaign just to support it and get a T-shirt. And uh, I sent out a tweet that just said, you know, hey, everybody should go support this thing. And it, it looks great. And Mike starts hitting me up saying, you know, come on out and this and that. And I explained the situation, said I couldn't make it. And then he starts getting all creepy on me and like asking me questions like, what's your birthday? And, you know, what airport are you by? And what's your full birth name and social security number? And I'm <laughs> super weirded out by this. And, and I think... I'm very uncomfortable with handouts and I think I, part of me knew where it might be leading. And so I was making it like intentionally difficult. And so next thing I know, my work phone rings, which like nobody has ever called me on my work phone. And he's just like, Hey, it's Mike Jones from creative South. Uh, I just feel like God's calling me to get you out here. And so I've got a ticket with your name on it. I want you to be my VIP guest at the VIP dinner. Um, your hotel's taken care of, your airfare is taken care of, your conference ticket, like, just come on out. And I didn't know what to say. So I, I think I just sat there, like, slack-jawed for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up losing my job. I got laid off. Wow. Maybe, like, two weeks after that call. And so that gave me something to really look forward to and kind of kick off what, you know, ended up being my freelance career. I, I ran my own business for, like, two years. And... When I was there, Mike had just left his job and, and we became really good friends and started working together and just kind of had this idea of, hey, you know what? 
we're both getting work come in. Like it would be easy to just say, I'm going to do my own project and you're going to do your own thing. And we said, Hey, like, no, 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 let's, let's kind of split the pot. Like let's put food on both of our family's table. It's more fun when we work together. We do better work when we work together. And then we also had different skill sets. So like I could handle right. the website our buddy Rob could do the development. Mike would do the branding and illustration and lettering and all this stuff. And so we kind of like formed this informal agency or collective of these separate entities. And um, we just became best friends and did a ton of work together. And, uh, you know, I ended up now I, I help out with Creative South and everything. And uh, so it's kind of like formed this beautiful friendship from this just really weird catfishing scenario on the Internet. What year was that? I think that was 2013. Wow, wow. Like, yeah. almost eliminating it being done on the web, that's practically almost the same thing that I went through with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, right? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know who Mike was, and so I'm telling the story to my wife. And I think I, I told my parents, too, and everybody's reaction was like, are you sure you're not going to be, like, murdered? Like, people don't do this. And I remember Googling Mike, trying to figure out, like, who the heck is this Mike Jones guy that's not the rapper? That, <laughs> you know, like, why is he doing this? And then I started seeing articles about him and podcast interviews right. and him talking about, like, faith and family. And I was like, wow, this is, this is just a genuinely good human being. These people still exist. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's so cool that that is something he has kept alive at creative south and does every year it's it's life-changing yeah man i mean it was just weird um uh we we were we we met up and you know i brought my money just in case and he was like bro that's not happening <laughs> he was just like no no thank you yeah <laughs> And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but it wasn't happening. You know, Mike, it wasn't happening. Yep. <laughs> so, so when you're not creating, when you're not doing anything with Creative South, what is Peter doing? Probably just hanging out with the family. I, like, I wish I was more interesting than that, but, <laughs> you know, really, uh, I, I think my wife and I are trying to get back into, like, having hobbies and whatnot, but we have... We have a, a two and a half year old and a nine month old, so yeah. you know our our life is pretty tough. Date nights still include one of the kids, and you know it's that kind of just season of life. And uh, you know we're just trying to like get through it and have a good time. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what's next? What's next for Peter? Um, you know, I, right now I'm I'm really enjoying where things are. I think it's probably been one of the times that. I've felt most content in my life. And I, I don't mean that as like, I'm done and uh, this is all I want to do or anything like it's not any loss of drive. But, uh, you know, I, I've been working at GoFundMe now for, I think, close to eight or nine months. And yeah. I've just really been enjoying it. It's been a ton of fun. It's been really cool going from the agency world uh, into an in-house product team and just like how different that is. Uh, and, you know, in in wake of the last couple of months and the things that have happened, you know, with the hurricanes, with the Las Vegas shooting, uh, right now with the fires, like all this stuff that's going on, knowing that the things that we are working on are having such an impact in mm. people's lives, like it, it's, it's really, really cool to be a part of that. And I think 
we all want to design pretty things, but at the heart of it, we all want to do things that touch the lives of others. Right. And it's cool to know that I have a very tiny role in that. And I love the team that I'm on. Um, I love my coworkers and the kind of work I'm getting to do. It's, it's always pushing me. It's, uh, you know, helping us stay cutting edge. And I, I've really been having a great time with that and getting to do you know, my, my studio work on the side and getting to pick the clients I want to work with and the type of projects I want to work on. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of this stage of life and being able to still spend really all of my time, so much of my time with family. I, I have very little complaints right now about life. That's great, man. That's what's up. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it feels good, you know. So I'm I'm just writing it out as long as I can, and you know, hopefully, uh, it stays like that. All right, so we're getting close to the end. So, what would you? What advice would you have for creatives out there? Um, you know, I think the advice I would give here. I, I work with several designers. Um, I, I do like mentor calls. Uh, a couple days a week because um, I, I commute four hours a day for my job uh, up to LA. So while I'm on the train, I, I try to make good use of that time and I talk to some folks. And the big thing is so many people want to, it seems like, shift into different roles, whether that's wanting to get into UI or product work or you know get better at illustration or lettering. And the toughest thing that I see is everybody wants that, but excuse me, it's not so much a lack of desire to put in the work, but like they seem to really struggle with going after it. Mm. And, you know, the the best advice I can give is like, you've got to find the way to make that time to make that happen. And if you do, it's going to pay off really well. I mean, there's a designer right now, we've been working together for about four weeks, I think. And he came and he's like, I, I really want to, you know, I want to do some really cool product stuff. I, I want to do this. I'm like, all right, cool. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to prune your portfolio. So one, everybody go prune your portfolio. Go yank out all the stuff that you're like not super stoked on anymore. If it's not the best work that you can do right now, take it out. And you'll be amazed to watch like maybe your your average work quality goes from like a six to an eight or a nine. And all of a sudden you become a lot more desirable, whether it be to clients or to uh, a, a new hire. And then the next thing is I'm like, all right, what are the things that you're passionate about? So, you know, for me, that might be, like I said, I, I love Pixar movies or movies or TV shows, uh, golf, you know, certain, certain things like that. So maybe what I would do is like, I'm going to create a movie app. And, you know, I did that. And that's, that's actually the only like fictional case study that I have on my, my dribble page. Um, but I had so much fun with that. And I think I posted three shots. I have at least like 50 screens of that because I was just like, oh, I'm having so much fun cutting out Doctor Who or whatever show I was watching at the time and making screens for it. And so because of it, I had a blast doing it, but it was work I was passionate about. Mm. And so the work quality was really good because of it. And so, you know, this one guy's just been hustling it and he's been cranking out like two, three, four dribble shots a week. And you're, you're watching, like, the quality of his dribble page go nuts. And, you know, his follower count, like, is really low. I think it started at, like, 150. And he's up into the 200s now. And <laughs> you know, shots are starting to get a little bit more love. And, uh, 
he he just landed a really big freelance project, like wow. a really big freelance project. Um, some recruiter from Facebook just hit him up. Like it's one of those things Whoa, where it's like if you do this, heavy. it will pay off. Um, but you know, he's he's a, a single guy and he's got the time to crush it. I work with a lot of folks too that are married <laughs> enough kids, and their pace of that improvement and you know, like case study work is considerably slower. And I understand it and I get it. But if you've got the time or you need to make the time, yeah. go do it. And you know, I, I guarantee you it's gonna be worth it. But you've gotta you've gotta show, you've gotta prove that you can do it. Otherwise, you know, you're you're taking that hope that something magical is just going to fall into your lap that's amazing man well peter i mean this was awesome it was great to have you on i know we've been trying to make this happen but uh we finally made it happen <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate it oh man so um man uh you know for sure we'll definitely keep in touch but man yeah. um thanks again for coming on thanks for sharing your story thanks for your insight Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, Peter. Awesome, man. Well, have a good night, and uh, I'm sure I'll chat with you more in the, the Slack. All right. Thanks. All right, later, buddy. Bye. I want to say thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at DP Creates on Instagram or Twitter. And please leave me a review on iTunes because that helps the podcast to grow. Thanks again. Be blessed.